Good morning, Church. Happy Sabbath. It's time to recite our affirmation of faith. John 3.16. God so loved the world, and I gave his only begotten son, that he so ever believed in him should not perish. Also, let's recite Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall not do the work, shall not do it. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord and your God. In it shall thou not do anything. Now and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy new Sabbath, and thy caretaker, and thy cattle, and thy stranger living with every day. The seventh day do not end forever. The feast arrived in it. And blessed the seventh day. Bless Lord, the seventh bless the seventh day. Amen. With this, I call the church to worship. so grateful and honored to be in your presence. Father, we believe that we are serving the God of the universe, the creator of the world and the redeemer of our hearts. And so we invoke your presence and invite you into this space as we lift up your name on high in praise, adoration, and adulation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning and happy Sabbath, church. The Bible reading today will be taken from Luke chapter 19 from verse 1 to 10. Say amen when you have it. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short he was of short stature. So he ran, ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to them, Today salvation has come to his house, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. May the Lord bless this reading in Jesus' name. Of place of call. 
our gracious and loving Father in heaven, King of all glory, Jesus of the day, Diam Darayam. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to gather here today to worship before your presence. Thank you, precious Father in heaven, because there's no one like you. Thank you, Asians of the day, because beside you there is no other God. Father, we reverence your name, O oh God. We want, just want to worship you this morning for whom you are. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Provider. Thank you for being our Protector. Father, we can't thank you enough for the things you have done for us. The ones you've done in the past, the ones you are doing, and the ones you will still do for us. Father, in everything we say glory, honor, adoration, thanksgiving, be ascribed unto your holy name in Jesus' name. Amen. Almighty Father in heaven, we are sinners and we cannot deny the fact that we have sinned against you, O Lord. Father, we have humbled ourselves before you, asking for mercy. Father, please have mercy upon us, O God. Cleanse us, O God, and wash us clean. And count us worthy to be in your presence at this moment. He said, if we say that we do not have any sin, that we lie against ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so at this hour, O oh Lord, we have come just the way we are. We pray, O oh God, that you wash us clean. And, O oh Lord, forgive us in any way that we might have fallen short of your glory in the name of our Lord Jesus. Almighty Father in heaven, we want to thank you, O oh God, on behalf of your daughter, Sister Yabo, who, whom last Saturday, O oh God, she was sick and didn't know what happened and what, all that happened to her. But King of glory, thank you, O oh God, that she is able to stand before you this morning to testify of what you have done for her. Thank you, O oh God, for her client who just disappeared from the clinic, O oh God. But Lord, by your grace and your mercy, O oh God, he was able, she was able to find him, O oh God, within the week. Thank you, O oh God, for the things you have done for her. Those that she could not even remember to table before you this morning. But Lord, in everything, we just want to say thank you. Glory be to your name, O oh God. Father, we also want to remember her and her family, O oh God, the Allotting Death family, who lost their dad. Father, you are, the great, you are the only one that can console and comfort them. Father, please send your Holy Spirit, the comforter, to be and abide with them in the name of Jesus. Almighty Father, may you show yourself, O oh God, in this family. Father, King of God, thank you, O oh God, that she testified that her father lived a good life. Father, we pray, O oh God, that we will meet him in heavenly kingdom when thou, O oh God, will appear in class of heaven in Jesus' name. Almighty Father in heaven, we want to thank you, O oh God, on behalf of one of our officers that I always come here to um, take charge of everything in security, concerning security in the church. Father, we just want to remember him at this hour, O oh God, because they are passing through a lot in their family. The wife is sick and was diagnosed of cancer. Father, O oh Lord, we pray you are the great healer. You are the one that can heal even beyond the doctors. And so, Lord, at this point, O oh God, we want to bring her before you. And we pray, O oh God, you that heals and heals the cause of the disease. Father, please heal her and heal the cause of this cancer in the name of Jesus. Father, today let her feel the touch of the Holy Spirit. Let her feel a special touch. And remember that, yes, our God is here with her. Father, King of God, even with the, the husband and the kids, oh God, we pray for them, oh God, that you will be with them at this time of trial in the name of Jesus. Father, have your way, oh God. There is nothing impossible for you to do. He said we should ask anything in your name that you will do it for us. Father, at this time, we want to lift this woman up before you, the great healer that heal all manner of diseases. Father, please heal her, oh God, and take all the glory in the name of Jesus. Patients of the days, we also want to remember Sister Dat's niece who was sessioned, oh God, and Lord, at this time, oh God, she is having low temperature. Father, King of God, there is nothing that you cannot do. Asians of the days, please hear her and take all the glory in the name of Jesus. Have your way in her life, O oh God. Father, manifest your miracle in her life today. Let her feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and the touch of the Holy Spirit in her life today in the name of Jesus. Whatever that is going on in, the, in her body right now, Lord, we pray, O oh God, that your spirit, O oh God, will manifest and make everything perfect to your own glory in the name of Jesus. And her healing will be permanent in the name of Jesus. Thank you, precious Father, because there is nothing we ask before you that you 
do not do for us. Because you said, oh God, that whatever we ask, that we should believe at th that it is done. And Lord, we believe that this day, as we have tabled this request before you, that it is done in the name of Jesus. Ancients of the days, I want to commit your children who are kneeling before you at this hour. Father, some of them has approached your throne, oh God, to kneel before the altar. Father, you know their heart desires. Father, Lord in heaven, I pray that you meet each and every one of us at the very point of our knees in the name of Jesus. Father, King of glory, also use our sisters, oh God, whom we have remembered this morning, oh God, who are sick, sick, oh God, using them as a point of contact to reach as many as them, oh God, that are lying sick in the hospitals, those that are in their homes, and those that are not able to go to the hospital for one thing or the other. Father, we pray, oh God, that you manifest your healing upon their lives in the name of Jesus. Ancients of the days, oh God, we want to pray, oh God, at this time, that many families who are bereaved, King of glory, may you console them in the name of Jesus. Ancients of the days, we want to remember your son, Pastor Chris, who is going to break the bread of life before we before your presence this hour. Father, we pray, O oh God, that you manifest in his life, O oh God, that he will decrease and you will increase, O oh God, that the word that will come out of his mouth, O oh God, will be a blessing upon each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. That as your word goes forth, O oh God, Father, it will be healing and blessing to our souls in the name of Jesus. Thank you, precious Father, for whom you are. Thank you because we know you have taken absolute preeminence of this hour, O oh God, that, O oh God, your Holy Spirit will hover around this area, that at the end of the service today oh god we will all go home feeling blessed of what you have done for us thank you lord for having answered our prayer this hour for in jesus mighty name we have prayed amen Amen. Amen. Happy Sabbath, church. I know it's cold outside, but the presence of the Lord is here. Amen. Um, we have a, a number of people who are not here with us today because of the inclement weather, but we know that no one is outside of God's reach. Amen. And that our brothers and sisters who are not here with us today are being ministered to by the Lord as well. I have the special privilege this morning of introducing our speaker, whom God has sent to deliver a message to us. You know, it's always uh, interesting when you ask people to share a little bit about themselves, their response. You kind of get a, in, a glimpse into what they're about. And so when I uh, asked Pastor Chris Whitaker to, to tell me a one, a one thing or two that I could share with the church before, he was very reluctant and I said, well, you don't have the privileges of us knowing who you are, so you have to give me something. But if it were of his own uh, way, he would just share the word of God. So we thank God for their spirit. He was uh, in full-time pastoral ministry in the South Atlantic Conference for nine years. He was a senior pastor of a church in Charlotte, a youth pastor here in Decatur, and uh, he and I share the same alma mater. He went to Andrews University, and he was the pastor for media and technology while he was there. He told me, as I try to get information about him, that he's at the point where he's just allowing the Lord to use him in ministry in different ways. And that's how he wants to be known. So after the choir, the next voice you will hear is that of Pastor Chris Whitaker. Harden not your heart today. Give him your ear, and the Lord will bless us all in Jesus' name. Amen. How many people are grateful that God gives us healing to our sin-sick souls 
And um, I'm a firm believer that that healing takes form in multiple different ways. There are many of us that are dealing with different various types of sicknesses. Um, some of us may literally be dealing with physical sicknesses and some of us are dealing with emotional sicknesses. I was touched by that testimony earlier in prayer requests for the young lady who lost her father on yesterday. Uh, but everybody, at the end of the day, everybody is dealing with that thing that they said in that song, sin sickness. Everybody is dealing with sin sickness at the end of the day. And I am so grateful, I don't know about you, that God is able to bring healing to our sicknesses. Can somebody say Amen. Amen. It's so good to be with you here on this morning. I bring you uh, greetings right here from Atlanta. <laughs> I live right here in Atlanta. I'm going to talk about my story in a little bit, but uh, as was shared a little earlier, I've had the privilege and the opportunity um, to pastor throughout the South Atlantic Conference. That's North Carolina, South Carolina, and right here in Georgia. And so I'm just honored uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Some of you all I'm familiar with. Some of you I'm meeting for the first time. I, I have made some connections um, with, uh, for instance, the Owalabi family and familiar with some, we deal some of the same people, including his son. So it's just good to be among family. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Uh, I'm not going to take too much time. I'm just going to go ahead and get right into the word. I'm going to ask if you all would do me a favor. I know it's a little small on the screen, um, but if you would just oblige me for a second and let us all rise to our feet as we read the word of the Lord on this morning. We are reading from Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible, that's all right with me. We also will have it here on this screen. Before I go into the Word, I just kind of want to take a moment uh, just to say I, I've actually I've gotten back into the habit of doing some of these long passages. There was a time as I was pastoring that I would do just one or two verses and then go ahead and explain that passage as time went on in the sermon. Um, but we, I have learned as time has gone on uh, that we are living in an age of biblical illiteracy. And there are many people uh, where this is the only reading of Scripture that they ever do is on this day in the house of God. And so I've gotten back into this habit of reading multiple verses. So I hope it's okay with you all if we would read multiple verses. Is that all right with you all? Okay, so let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 19, starting from verse 1. And the Bible says, let's read it together. The Bible says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Verse 4. So he ran ahead and did what, everybody? Climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Altogether, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I just want to speak simply under the topic, waves. Waves. Father in the heaven, God, we are grateful in advance for how you are about to speak to us through your holy word in Jesus' name, let all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I am fascinated with this concept and this theory that some people call the butterfly effect. I'm fascinated with, with it. Anybody ever heard of that before, the butterfly effect? 
Okay, a couple of, I heard one person's heard of it before. The concept and the ideal of the butterfly effect, uh, the, 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 the ideal behind it is that a one small little butterfly somewhere in a rural area on earth, the flapping of its wings can cause whole hurricanes in other regions of the earth. That's the idea. The idea is that, that small things, small ripples, that eventually here on earth they grow to become large consequential things. That even a small butterfly, that, 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 that even a small worm and, and the holes that worms dig in the ground can cause grounds to erode and, and whole roads to fall in. That, that even small things have large consequences and large effects. And the butterfly effect, the butterfly effect is just a theory. Um, there, there are many scientists who have disproven that theory. Many people find it hard to believe. But there's one thing that we can know for sure that does exist. While the butterfly effect may just be a theory, one thing that's not theoretical and one thing that we know does exist for sure are these things called tsunamis. Anybody familiar with tsunamis? Okay, tsunamis are weird, real things. We're very familiar with tsunamis. I have just a, a brief little diagram right there on the screen, but the, the idea of tsunamis fascinates me. And what fascinates me is the understanding that when an earthquake happens in the sea, it can cause huge consequences on land. And sometimes these earthquakes, sometimes they may happen in the middle of the sea. Sometimes they may happen on the other side of the sea. It may happen to a nearby continent or a nearby country. But whatever the effect, the concept and the reason why tsunamis happen is some kind of disturbance will happen in the sea. And sometimes miles and miles away, that water, the disturbance that built these ripples and in and, and this water, it can cause it to swell, to become so large that they overtake countries, cities, land, even sometimes 10 miles away from the shore. Because small things or even distant things can have large consequences and large effects. What, what, what fascinates me about this idea is I believe that this is something that not only happens in science, I believe it's not only something that happens in the world, but I believe that it's something that happens among humans. Follow me now. I believe that even small or insignificant humans can have large effects in the world. If you believe that, say amen. I, I, believe, I believe that not only small humans can have large effects in the world, but I actually believe, and I just want to take the time and just really elaborate on this today, I actually believe that even the little things that we do can have large effects in the world. So scripture tells us, well, before I get into scripture, actually, let me, let me share this with you. Um, uh, this is Black History Month, and um, I'm so grateful for Black History Month. I'm so grateful for the opportunity just to be able to shed light upon the figures, the black American and, and even blacks throughout the African diaspora around the world, um, to be able to shed light upon black figures who have done amazing things throughout history and particularly throughout American history. And I just want to clarify something right here, right now. I try to remind people of this every time we come to Black History Month. The reason why Black History Month started, it was never meant to, to, to limit and define black history to one month that might consist of 28 or 29 days. Can somebody say amen? Okay, that was never the intention. It was never the intention that only this month, this is the only month that we talk about black history. That was never the intention. Okay, when Negro History Month, excuse me, when Negro History Week started with Carter G. Woodson and later on transformed into Black History Month, the ideal and concept behind it was that this month is used in order to emphasize the need to include Black History Month in every, excuse me, to include black history in every single day throughout the year. Can somebody say amen? Okay, the, the concept, the concept behind it was that in our schools in America, oftentimes when we talk about American history, we only talk about white American history. And black American history is oftentimes not considered American history. So the idea behind Black History Month 
is that a black American history needs to be taught every day in our schools right alongside white American history. If you agree with that, can somebody say amen? And I just, I just like to remind us of that because we get away from that, we forget about it. We'll celebrate black characters, black historians, black heroes during this month, and then we won't talk about it all year long. And that was never the intention behind it. So, so there's some black figures that I absolutely love, and there are a lot that I look up to. Martin Luther King is actually one of my personal um, um, role models. I look up to him and his leadership, particularly as a preacher, as a communicator, and as a, as a world changer. I look up to him. Uh, I even look up to Malcolm X uh, sometimes. I I'll have a little Malcolm X in me, and sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll be a leader in, in protest and in change, even sometimes in minor radical ways. And uh, there, there are a couple of historical figures, black historical figures that I look up to. But one of the things that I want to like highlight today, I think we take a lot of time looking at the more notorious black history figures, but while oftentimes ignoring individuals like these individuals. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about Malcolm X. We'll talk about Martin Luther King. We'll talk about, we'll talk about Carter G. Woodson. We'll talk about W.E.B. Du Bois. We'll talk about all of those individuals, but we won't take the time to talk about some of these less significant figures. I, I, I like this picture because it's, a, it's actually a very notorious picture. I see it circulating around a lot on social media and in this picture what we have are some black individuals that none of us probably know the name of right is there anybody in here that knows the name of these individuals right nobody knows their names right but this this picture is so iconic and what I like about this picture is it shows that the suffering and the protest that was necessary in order to advance civil rights for not only black people but people of color in America did not just happen only by the well-known, big, significant, notorious figures, but it happened even by nameless people like this. There were, there were all throughout the 60s and the 50s and the 70s, and, and even up until now, there have been individuals who we might not read about them, we might not remember their names, we might not even know who they are, but they very much so were participants in the moving forward of change in America. These are the individuals that were sitting at lunch counters that they had no business sitting at. These are the individuals that were sitting at the front of the bus. Rosa Parks was not the only one. There were individuals that were sitting at the front of the bus in protest. These are the individuals that were marching down the streets, armed, locked with arm, who were shouting aloud, we shall overcome. These are individuals who participated in, in, in the political process in America. These are individuals who suffered on behalf of the advocacy of civil rights for all people in America. And, 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 and again, take a glance at this picture because, again, Martin Luther King was locked up because of his advocacy and, and, and he, he was shot and killed because of his advocacy. And Malcolm X and all of these individuals, they suffered for their advocacy. But even small, insignificant individuals suffered too in their fight for freedom. And the point that I want to make here today is I believe that God is calling even small, insignificant individuals like you and I in our spheres of influence in order to be affect change in the world that is immediately around us. Listen, I don't care what your title might be. I don't care what degree you have or what degree you don't have. Somebody say amen. I don't care how many degrees you have. Listen, I don't care if you only have a third grade education. I don't care if you've never been to school a day in your life. I've just stopped by to announce to you all today that God is trying to use even you to affect change in the world. No matter, what, no matter how limited your vocabulary might be, no matter how limited your English may be, no matter how small that dollar figure may be in your bank account, 
or how negative it may be. Can somebody say amen? Uh, it does not matter what you have or what you do not have. Wherever you are, God uses little people doing small things to affect big change. And he does it. He's, he's done it throughout history. And he can do it even through you and I. So, so the Bible talks about this man by the name of Zacchaeus. What's his name, everybody? Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a, is, a, is a story that many of us are familiar with. Actually, funny enough, Zacchaeus was the first sermon I ever preached before in my life back in 2009, I believe it was. Um, and so there's, it's always interesting to look at Zacchaeus and to be able to extract uh, new truth from out of that same old story. But I, I, look at, I look at Zacchaeus and I look at this story. And there's something that fascinates me about this story. Whenever I read this story and I look at how Zacchaeus changed, I'm actually kind of dumbfounded by the fact that he not only changed, but he changed so fast. So let me not, let me not assume that you know the story. Some of you may, may be familiar with it, uh, but Zacchaeus was this guy who was a tax collector and uh, he was known not only to be a tax collector, uh, but he was known to be a deceitful tax collector. He was known to steal and take more from the people than he should have been taking for his own benefit and his own profit. And so he was hated by the community. I mean, everybody just, Zacchaeus was notoriously the person that you do not want to like. And so here is Zacchaeus, a man who was hated. Um, but, but what's funny to me is I, I kind of get the impression that he almost didn't care about their hate. I mean, because, I mean, here this man, he has like, 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 how do we call it? He, he has stacks put aside. <laughs> um, let me see. He, he has, he has rolls put aside. Um, how might we say it? Um, he has, he has, he has coins put aside. If somebody's following me here today, your, your boy, your boy had the bag. <laughs> and it's so funny to see Jesus come to his house and he's like bringing out bags upon bags stacks upon stacks <laughs> in order to give back. I mean, your man is rolling, and I don't know about any of you all, but if people hated me, yeah, I was banking, I would not care what people would think about me. I'm just, that's, I don't know about you, but that's just me personally. I get this impression that Zacchaeus did not care. What's interesting to me and what's beautiful to me is that it actually did not take Jesus much in order to change Zacchaeus. There are individuals that we'll see in scripture who have like these big pivotal moments that changes them for the rest of their life, right? Okay, David, what was David's big pivotal moment? I heard somebody say, what was David, King David, what was his big pivotal moment? Goliath was a big pivotal moment. That's a good point. That's a fair point. What I was more thinking of is Bathsheba. Bathsheba was one of those big pivotal moments that just really transformed David and transform the way that he behaved going forward, right? I mean, every single one of these characters, we can look, uh, 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 there's the woman that's caught in adultery, okay? Big pivotal moment right there. I mean, shamed and embarrassed, yet forgiven and granted grace. That was a pivotal moment for her. Huge pivotal moment, very public moment, right? But in the story of Zacchaeus, you don't see anything large happen. Jesus doesn't come to Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, I declare to you today that you are changed. I declare to you that you are forgiven. I declare to you that you are righteous. You actually don't see that in the story. Jesus doesn't make any kind of declarations. Jesus does not commit any kind of miracles. Listen, this is all that Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm going to your house. What a small thing for Jesus to do just to visit somebody's house. He doesn't promise he'll bless his house. He doesn't promise he'll grant him wealth for the rest of his life. No. Jesus simply says this. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And what I want to propose right here, right now for us today is that in order for us to be able to commit change in other people's lives, it does not take Big moments or big declarations, sometimes it only takes small actions. 
What do I mean by that? Um, for, for, so many, for so many years in Seventh-day Adventism, follow me now. I'm just going to challenge you all a little bit. Can I challenge you all a little bit? Okay. All right. For so many years in Seventh-day Adventism, and don't get me wrong, this does work in some regions of the world, but um, as, as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, I have, been, I have been objectively looking at some of our evangelism styles in America, okay? And we always seem to think that evangelism requires something big, right? Always seem to think it requires something big. We got to have the big tent. Come on, somebody know what I'm talking about? Got to have the big tent with the big sound system, with the big budget. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> with the big signs that says, hey, we're having a crusade this week. As a matter of fact, we'll even use that word, crusade. <laughs> okay, like it's a big crusade, right? We'll have these big plans, these big programs in order to try to baptize the most amount of people possible. And don't get me wrong, again, it worked for years, worked for years in North America, and I actually believe that it's some of the reason for the rapid growth, particularly in black America, black Adventism in America. Can somebody say amen? Oh, yeah, it's worked for years. It's worked for years. It's working for years even in many African countries. There are many nations. Even till this day, you go over there, you throw up a big tent, or you don't even have to have a big tent. You just have a big building. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. You don't even have to have doors on that piece. You can just have a big shelter, <laughs> right? And people will pack that thing on out, right? And, and, and it works in some context, but the more time goes on, the more we are noticing that it's not working in North America any longer. That Adventism and evangelism in Adventism is actually on the decline in North America. And so I actually want to propose that there is something that we can do to make that change. So Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was, was, was changed um, not by anything big, but he was changed by even small things. And I just propose, I propose right now, I propose that there are some small things that we can do, even in North America, that will cause things to turn around for Adventism in North America. Um, how many of y'all are familiar with the early church in Acts? A couple of y'all, some, some of y'all, some of you read Acts, all right? I think it's so interesting that a lot of the growth did not happen in Acts in big buildings, okay, or big churches, actually a lot of the growth that took place in Acts, somebody said it, happened in people's houses. <laughs> I'm going to your house today. That what would happen in, in the early church in Acts is that people, they would meet together and they'd have these small, as Ellen White put it, they would have these small cottage meetings, right, where they'd meet in, in each other's houses and they'd fellowship, and they'd get to know each other on a deeper level, and they'd worship, and they'd break bread, and that's how they grew. And every time they did this, they were able to invite somebody over to their house. And every time they did this, they were able to affect change one person at a time. They didn't baptize. Uh, now, don't get me wrong. On the first day, they baptized 3,000. Can somebody say Amen. Yeah, there were times where the Spirit just moved and baptized thousands of people, right? But much of the movement of the early church in Acts actually took place a person at a time. Brothers and sisters, I propose to you that in order for us in North America, and particularly in Adventism, in order for us to turn things around in evangelism, I propose that we're going to have to shift our focus from these big meetings and big budgets and big whatever and have to move to a place where we are focusing on a soul at a time. If you agree with that, can somebody say amen? Yeah, 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 yeah. Evangelism growth, it doesn't, it doesn't always happen, and particularly in this modern time. It doesn't always happen in big ways. It actually happens in small ways. Not only does evangelism happen in small ways, but, and I just want to give you all some, some meat that you can digest, there are things in your life that you all want to accomplish that you thought required big things, and I just want to announce to you right now that it's actually not the big things that are going to get you through, it's actually the little things that will get you through. Um, 
Do I have any fellow Kobe fans in the house? Got a couple of Kobe friends. Okay, I see some fellow Kobe fans. I don't know about y'all, man. Um, but two weeks ago, um, when he passed away, I, it was just the weirdest thing. I grieved his loss like I knew him personally. Grieved him. It felt like he was my family. And let me give you some context. I'm actually born and raised in Southern California. Okay, Riverside, Los Angeles, California, West Side. Holla at your boy, all right? I was born, <laughs> born and raised in Southern California. And so now y'all could, could probably imagine that Kobe, for me, like, Kobe is my hometown hero. Okay, wasn't born there, he wasn't raised there, but, but his whole career was right there in Southern California. So, man, that thing affected me. And what's been weird for me is I, I've, I've, always, I've always been inspired by Kobe's work ethic, but I've been inspired even more since his passing. Ever since his passing, every day, man, as I've been in the gym, as I've gone to work, Mamba mentality has been the thing that I've just been repeating to myself. That in the, the same work ethic that Kobe demonstrated is the same work ethic that I have to demonstrate. Now, here's the thing about Kobe. Kobe said this. He said, the, 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 the performances that we see from Kobe aren't a result of him just coming to the stadium during performance nights and doing big things. No. What makes Kobe great, and I don't know what other fans we have in this place, what makes LeBron great, what makes KD great, what makes Steph Curry great, what makes them great are the little things that they do every single day. Oh, man, let me tell you all about them, man. These guys have work ethic out of this world. You will, these guys will tell you that they spend hours upon hours sometimes practicing the same shot over and over again. Same thing over and over again. Sit in the same place until they get that thing right. Okay? And then they'll move. Practice that same shot. Thousands upon thousands, I would even argue hundreds of thousands of times. Patrick Mahomes, the, the, the quarterback uh, for the Chiefs that just won the Super Bowl, okay, throws that ball to an exact pinpointed spot thousands upon hundreds of thousands of times. They do not wait until the big night in order to work hard. Are you following me? Yeah, they don't wait till the big night. He's not waiting till the Super Bowl. He's not waiting for the game every Sunday or Monday night or Thursday night. No. Every single day the same thing. Small, insignificant, but consistent, doing it over and over and over again. And because he does that same thing over and over again, it's actually what makes him a better quarterback, better football player, a better basketball player. And let me tell you right now, those of you who have some goals that you want to accomplish, you're not going to accomplish it just by doing big things. You're not going to pass the LSAT just showing up for the LSAT thinking that because I'm smart, I can get a 180 on the LSAT. Can somebody say amen? All right. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever study for LSAT, MCAT? I see some, I see some witnesses. GRE, hello. Come on, SAT, anybody, right? All right. What's going to prepare you to pass those standardized tests are hours upon hours of studying at home, engaging in the little things, reading through the question over and over again. Coming up with scenarios over and over again. It's the little moments, man. It's the late hours at night. Do I have any witnesses in this place? Sometimes, I look, I, I know we're Adventists, and I know we're not supposed to drink coffee and all, but when I was in grad school, some of that stuff got your boy through. Can somebody say amen? <laughs> Come on. Got some witnesses in this place who knows what I'm talking about. Man, I, I've, been, I've had times, I don't know about y'all, man. I've had times that I was studying for something, and I looked out the window, and I saw orange coming up at the horizon and could not believe that it was morning. I had studied all night long. And I have had times that I'm just, man, I'm just venting right now. I've had times <laughs> where I went to class to take a test with not a single minute of sleep. Do I have any witnesses in this place? <laughs> and sometimes it's that kind of work ethic that will enable your success. It's not the big moments. It's those small moments. Can, can I talk to the parents for a second? Parents, let me tell you something. When you're raising your kids and when you want them to be what you want them to be, 
It's not always the big moments that matters. It's the small moments. Fathers, hear me right now, because this is, this is huge. It's showing up to those soccer games or football games that we think they'll never notice if we're not there, but they actually remember it for the rest of their lives. And they're out there working hard, and they look at the audience, and they don't see daddy there. That affects them in big ways. And it's, it's funny, man, because for so long in, in, in our church and in some of our cultures, we've taught the importance of us fathers and us men working hard. I'm saying us inclusively. I don't have any kids. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking inclusively. But some of you all fathers, some of us, we, we've been so focused on going to work, making money, thinking that that's all that matters because that's the big thing, right? Like without money, they can't survive. And so if I make this money, maybe they'll know and believe that I love them. But it's actually the little things that makes them feel loved. Hey, this is little, but it's big. It's telling them, son, I love you. Y'all hear me? Come on, y'all sound like y'all struggling with this one here. <laughs> It's verbally communicating, black folk, okay? Daughter, I love you. Daughter, you are valuable to me. You are beautiful. Look, some, some of y'all, you, you want to you wanna prevent your daughters from dating or marrying a man that's not going to be good for them, and you think it's going to take something big. You think it's going to be threatening him and showing him that you're her father and that you're the boss. No, it's the little things. It's spending her whole life helping her to understand that she's loved by you. And that because that deficit is met, she'll never have a need to achieve it in toxic ways from other people. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Okay? It's the little things, man. I'm trying to help you all to understand. It's the little things. If there's anybody that's trying to learn how to play piano, it's, it's not the big performances that's going to help you to learn. Sometimes it's practicing the same skill over and over and over again. And I know it's hard. I know it's tedious. I know it's boring. But that's what's going to get you through. That's, that's what's going to get you through. It's, it's not always the big things in life that helps us to accomplish great successes. But it's the little things. If that's clear to you all, can somebody say amen? Can, can I give you one more example? Let me give you one more. I'm just trying to give you all some practical stuff because I just believe in doing this now. Um, I, I, uh, I, I got into meal prepping starting like two months ago. Y'all know what meal prepping is? Yeah, so that's basically where you cook your food at the beginning of the week and you package it so that all week long you can, that's what you're going to eat for your meals, all right? And uh, I've been getting into this habit where I, I cook my meal on Sunday and I'll prepare five meals and I've kind of been into like intermittent fasting, so I don't eat breakfast anyways. So I'll go to work, and at my first lunch break at about 12 or 1 o'clock, I'll eat the meal that I prepared on Sunday, and I'll do that every day during the week. Now, check this out. I've learned that when I meal prep, I really only spend about $25 per week on my meals for the week. Yep, I spend $25 per week in order to eat all week long. Now, for those of y'all who know, when you're not meal prepping, and when you are eating out, your meals usually cost about $10 a meal. Isn't that true? Yeah, man, it's about $10 a meal. I mean, I don't even, I don't care where you go. I used to go to Waffle House, and I used to have their, their cheese and eggs with raisin toast, because I'm not vegan. The Lord's still working on me. Somebody say amen. <laughs> I'm not there yet. But I'll have their cheese and eggs with raisin toast, and it used to be like $5, and I'd be able to have that whole meal. I just learned actually like a couple of weeks ago that they increased that joint to about $8. And then once I leave the tip, I've spent $10 in that place, okay? I, I, go, to, I go to Burger King <laughs> and get me the, the, the Impossible Whopper. Come on, somebody say amen, <laughs> right? All right, get that joint, get fries. I mean, the, the, the Whopper, the burger is like $6 by itself. Right? 
and then get something else with that thing, you're spending $10. Check this out. I did the math. When I'm spending $25 a week, no, let me start here. When I spend $10 per meal, if I do that for three meals a day, seven days a week, okay, for 52 weeks a year, somebody's doing the math for me, did you know that that comes out to $10,000? Do you know what you could do with $10,000? <laughs> Come on now, that's a car, that's a down payment for a house. Come on, somebody, right? There are so many things that I can do with $10,000. Did you know that if you spend $25 per week for 52 weeks a year, that's $1,300. You save almost $9,000 per year just by preparing your meals. And it's, it's such a small thing. Big impacts on the world. When I was pastoring in uh, I'm going the wrong way. Uh, da, 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 da. Here we go. Yeah. All right. When I was pastoring in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, I just like I explained a second ago, I engaged in big evangelism. I, I spent I spent actually my first evangelism um, effort that I ever engaged in. We spent twenty five thousand dollars for that one evangelistic effort. Y'all heard twenty five thousand dollars, and we spent it on Bible workers. Y'all know the whole shebang. Spent it on music budget, all right, all of that, all right, spent 25000 I spent like $3,000 for this notorious evangelist that's had success for years to come in and train all of our people, spent $25,000. And uh, by the grace of God, in a church that I was pastoring in that only had about 50 people coming every single week, kind of, kind of like here, I, th I think this is about 50 people, right? All right, and a church that had about 20, that, that had about 50 people, we baptized 25 people, somebody ought to say amen. amen. We baptized 25 people. I mean, we, we, we increased the church size by 50%, right? Okay, increased the church size by 50%. That's terrific growth. And those first couple of months, the 25 people that we baptized were there every Sabbath. But as is the case, and I hear some people right here with me, as is the case all around the nation, as time went on, each person began to fizzle out and stopped coming until we got to a point, I think a year later, only two people were still coming. And now I've heard, now that I'm not there anymore, now none of them come. And we spent $25,000 and have nothing to show for it. I did the same thing. I, I did that in, in one church. I was pastoring two churches. I did the same thing in the other church. I spent $17,000. We were able to baptize, I think it was about 10 people, something like that. And as time went on, they all phased out until nobody was left. So I got to this point where I started doing a real hardcore assessment and analysis. And I said, look, this is not being a good steward of God's money. So what I started to do was I started focusing on who I can pour into one-on-one, -on -one individually. And I met this young lady right here on the screen. She was in jail uh, for uh, arson, okay? She, she had, uh, she shared the story with me. She was, um, she, she had been locked into her closet. She was in an abusive relationship, and the guy locked her into her closet in front of her kids. Uh, by the time she finally got out, days later, when she came back to her apartment, and she saw the closet, she says it triggered her, and she lit the closet on fire. And obviously when she lit the closet on fire, it lit the entire apartment on fire. And she went apartment to apartment, banging on the door, get out, y'all gotta get out, this, the, the apartment's on fire, it's burning down. And thanks to God, everybody was able to get out safe, nobody died that day, but she was, and perhaps rightfully so, she was arrested for arson. She ended up doing, I believe if I remember correctly, it was about two years or something like that in the county jail. And I was actually, I, I visited her when she was first waiting trial and I would see her about once a week and I just have conversations with her and she would share things with me that just really broke my heart. She would share with me how hard it was in jail, 
um, how she was crying every day. She was crying so much that they actually would put her on suicide watch. And when they put her on, and when they put people on suicide watch, they take away all of your clothes, strip you naked, because they don't want you to use your clothes to hang yourself. They take your mattress from off of your bed because they don't want you to smother yourself. And so here she is, night after night, with no clothes in a cold, hard cell with nothing but tile on the ground and brick around her, sleeping and crying herself to sleep. So she would share this with me, and it would break my heart. And then when I would ask her about the type of people that come to, came to visit her, her father would come to visit her, but in spite of having so many friends when she was not in jail, that was all. Just her father and myself. And so I would visit her, and every time I visit her, I spend about an hour with her, and I would pray with her, I would listen to her vent, and watch her cry, and I, I couldn't do much. I mean, I don't, I don't have a degree in counseling. Okay? I couldn't do anything big. Follow me. This is where I'm going. There's nothing big that I could do in that moment. All right? I could not get her out of jail. But the little thing that I did, visiting her, praying with her, and listening to her, had large effects. So much so to where I was, I was traveling to Nashville, Tennessee to preach at a church. And um, I preached at the church and I left back from the church. I was heading back up to Andrews. I was, I was in seminary at this time. I wasn't a pastor anymore. We kind of lost contact. I wasn't really talking with her anymore. But she still had my number. And I flew to New York to have a layover, and then I was going to fly to Chicago. And while I was in New York at this layover, this strange number calls, calls my phone. Now, she's lucky that I answered because sometimes bill collectors be the ones that be calling <laughs> Your boy almost didn't answer, <laughs> all right? But I said, let me have that. The Spirit told me <laughs> to go ahead and answer this call. And I picked up the phone, and it was her on the phone. And she said, Pastor Whitaker, I don't know if you remember me. She said, well, Pastor, I, I want to tell you what you did to me really meant a lot for me. You remember, at that time, I was struggling. I was suffering. I was sleeping naked on a cold, hard cell floor in prison. By the way, I didn't tell you all this. She had actually lost her kids. She had two kids. Remember I told you she had two kids earlier? And of course the state had to take them away. And so even when she got out, she was never able to get those kids back. Okay? So she was in a dark place, lost her kids, lost her freedom. She said, Pastor, that was such a difficult time for me. She said, but those, those times that you visited me had a profound effect on me. And when I got out of jail, the first thing I stopped doing every Sabbath was to go to church. She said, I started going to church. She said, I met a man who I fell in love with. And she said, and we had two more kids together. And she sent me this picture. It was just a beautiful picture. And she said, Pastor, you changed my life. Those little moments that we spent together changed my life. And so I've, I've, I've gotten to this point, and, and I'm out of time, but I've, I've gotten to this point where I realize, you know what? I think that's what I want to focus on. I, I don't care about the big budgets. I don't care as much anymore about the big evangelism. No, I actually think this is where God is leading us, to change a life one soul at a time, to disciple somebody, to mentor somebody, to grab somebody by the hand and say, come on, let's just do life together. Like, I see you're suffering. I see you're struggling. I've been there. Come on, I'm going to walk you through this, and we're going to get through it together, just you and I, to engage in small group meetings, okay? Sabbath is great. Coming to church is great, but meeting in our homes and, and feeding people, those small things will cause big ginormous waves in the world. And so I, I, I've made this shift. I've made this shift in my life. I took a leap of faith May of last year and said, I don't want to do full-time pastoral ministry anymore. I went ahead and I quit ministry. 
And uh, I got into, I'm actually working in healthcare administration now and uh, working at a chain of clinics here in Atlanta. And I love what I do, I enjoy what I do, but what I love the most, when I was pastoring, the only people I would interact with were Seventh-day Adventists. Now, some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy because you don't even know that that's a bad thing. <laughs> that when you're isolated in your own little bubble and your own silos, then God cannot use you to change anybody's life. That when you're isolated in these silos, you cannot grow because your perspectives and views cannot be challenged. I wish somebody would say amen. Look, I know that's hard. But look, God has not called us to only interact among ourselves. God has called us to go into the world and to make believers even among people who are far from God. He's called us to those settings. And so I've been, I've been encouraged because I've, I've been able to work in such a setting where I'm interacting with people who don't believe in God. Some of them do. Some of them do. Some of them don't. Some of them live all types of lifestyles many of which I may disagree with, okay? But you know what? These are small relationships that I am cultivating. And you have no idea how God may use these relationships that I'll cultivate to change and turn somebody's life around. And so that's what I want to challenge you all to do. That's my simple message. I want to challenge you. Make big waves through the small things that you do. Don't neglect the small things. Don't, 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 grow, don't grow weary in well-doing. <laughs> don't get tired of the little things you have to do in your marriage. Come on, somebody. The things you have to do in your parenting. The things you have to do on your jobs. The things you have to do in school. It may seem small right now, but it will make big waves. And so, God, we, we thank you so much for the fact that, Lord, you came humbly as a child. You're a small child, God. And you didn't, you didn't come declaring yourself king. You didn't do big things. God, you did little things, Jesus. You did little things, and it made reverberating waves throughout the world. And so, God, I ask that you would inspire us and motivate us to do little things and the spheres of our community, the spheres of our influence, may we do small things that have big effects throughout the world. And when all is said and done, ha, may we hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over the little things. Now I will make you ruler of many things. For we pray it in Jesus' name. This kind God, oh, oh, I never see your type,
ちゃん！